Today, we're going to dive into holistic mental health, what that really means, what that looks like, what taking a holistic perspective is truly about. And we're not talking about just holistic in the terms of mind-body connections, although that's part of it, but looking at multiple roots of our mental health concerns and what possibilities we have from there. Each of these lenses or frameworks can really give us opportunities to not only understand ourselves in relationship to society on a deeper level, but also give us more options for healing and support. I always like to say there's no consent without choices. And in our current dominant framework for mental health, the biomedical model, we aren't often given choices. And when we are disconnected from our agency and our power to interpret our experiences and understand our experiences in our own way, this only furthers the problem. Hi, I'm Jasmine Russell, and this is Depth Work, a holistic mental health podcast. This is a space for those who love to dive into the underbelly, to revel in the mystery, question assumptions about what's normal, play in the both and, and honor the wide range of human emotion. As a complex trauma survivor, holistic counselor, and co-founder of a mental health training institute, I've learned that there is immense wisdom in our pain, and that what we call crazy is just what we are not yet willing to understand and explore. I'm so glad that you're here, so let's dive in. I get this question from clients all the time. Am I going crazy? Or is it societal and structural oppression, trauma, intergenerational trauma, historical trauma, my ancestors trying to speak to me, an existential crisis, a spiritual emergency. Is it my hormones, Lyme disease, autoimmunity, a chemical imbalance, a brain disease, reaction to medication, not enough sleep, isolation, poverty, COVID? Is it a gift? Is it a curse? What the heck is happening to me? I'm not here to give answers to those questions. I'm here to ask different ideally better and more interesting questions. First of all, I want to give a huge nod and shout out to all the folks at the Institute for the Development of Human Arts who continue to operate from and iterate this framework that we've called transformative mental health. And if you haven't listened to it yet, I highly recommend listening to episode one of this podcast on transformative mental health. In other words, the practice of personal and collective healing that's rooted in systemic change, having a critical consciousness of multiple intersecting systems of oppression and its impact on us, rooted in experiential knowledge, our lived experiences, and holistic care, uplifting multiple voices and frameworks for a fuller understanding of healing, healing as a creative process. And this last piece, the holistic piece, is what I'm going to be diving into today. I know that right now, the term holistic is kind of all over the place. It can sometimes elicit the idea of healing through plants and herbs or this kind of more reductionist or simplistic framework of mind-body connection. But I like to use holistic for all of it, the whole everything, the ways that we're impacted by our context, by society, upstream and downstream factors, not just looking at our brain chemistry, but our biology at large, looking at the ways in which our bodies are impacted by our environment and the ways that we make meaning out of the world. This also includes spiritual existential factors of our lives as well. So just to ground us a little bit in holistic health, I actually like to use 
the principles of holistic medicine. As I was coming out of my work in the mental health system and really noticing that my values so deeply conflicted with the apparent values of the institutions that we have that often keep people systemically trapped, that sometimes can do more harm than good, that pathologize people, that tell people that they're sick, crazy, ill, need to be fixed, and are broken, and have a kind of medicate and separate mentality that seems to me to be quite antithetical to healing. I started to look around and say, who has different ethics and values that they're operating from? And one of the things that I found is actually by the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine on the website of the American Holistic Health Association. I'll link this down below. But they listed principles of holistic medical practice, which I personally think taking into the context of mental health can give us some real fresh perspective. I'm going to shorten these principles just a bit, but wanted to share them with you here. Searching for the underlying causes is preferable to treating symptoms alone. Practitioners expend as much effort in establishing who the person is as they do in establishing what's impacting them. Also, prevention is preferable to treatment. If we think about the way our mental health system is currently operating, we think that what we're doing is more cost-effective by trying to quickly treat symptoms and get people back to stabilization or a certain baseline. But in reality, the mental health system is a component of a broader system that creates ill health in so many different ways. Another principle is that any kind of, here they say illness because they're talking about medical practice, but illness is viewed as a manifestation of a dysfunction of the whole person, not as an isolated event. And a major determinant of healing outcomes is the quality of the relationship established between the helper and the person who's seeking help, where autonomy is encouraged. They also say illness, pain, and the dying process can be learning opportunities, and that optimal health is much more than the absence of sickness. So again, as I was kind of looking around and thinking to myself coming out of my work in the mental health system, looking at, all right, where are people doing this better? Who has different values that's much more rooted in what I would consider to be true health and healing than anything that I've seen in the mental health system? And this is part of what I found. What these principles for me really get at is not just the interconnected nature of our lives and the ways that we can draw on multiplicity when it comes to understanding why we're experiencing what we're experiencing, but also what we can do from here. What it also elicited for me is really kind of deconstructing and taking apart some fundamental things that we believe to be true about mental health, which is most particularly the idea that mental health issues or struggles or concerns are pathologies, that there's something to fix or change. Now, of course, do we need to support people that are suffering? Absolutely. And we can also understand and acknowledge that crisis, including mental health crises, breakdowns in our mental health, the ways that people suffer can also be used as opportunities that can be quite generative, that can really show us and teach us not just what needs to be changed in our individual lives and relationships, but also society at large. 
So again, when I was going through my own huge mental health crisis coming out of working in the mental health system and really starting to ask myself, how do I want to make meaning out of this experience? How do I want to interpret this? Not just quickly jumping to what do I do or I'm crazy or this is a pathology, but really leaning on, I guess one of my favorite quotes about this is by Jeanette Winterson, madness is the beginning of a process. It is not meant to be the end result. That is something that I felt on such a fundamental level. In my own experience and what I've witnessed from the dozens of clients that I've worked with, most particularly people that are in the midst of some of the most intense crises, is that the questions that we ask ourselves when we're in the midst of crises have the potential to liberate or restrict us. And when we choose to see what we're experiencing solely as a pathology, solely as something that needs to be fixed or changed so that we can get back to being functional and behaving well according to what Western culture and society expects from us, that we are missing out on a huge opportunity. So I wanted to go through six particular lenses. These are not the only lenses. These are not the only frameworks. These are not the only questions that we can ask ourselves about the roots of our mental health concerns. But these are the six questions that, in my own experience, have been the most impactful, the most powerful. The lenses or ways that I've come to understand my own process that has led to the most potential healing. And those six lenses are understanding mental health in relationship to one, interpersonal trauma. What happened to you? Two, ancestral trauma. What happened before you? Three, societal oppression. What's happening around you? Four, interconnected biology. What's happening in your body? Five, taking a spiritual or existential lens. What's happening through you? And six, personal integrity. What's happening within you? Now, to go back and dig into each one. This first one, interpersonal trauma, is a lens that we are finally, finally, socially and publicly really coming to understand on a deeper level. Now there's more books on interpersonal trauma, and we're starting to get away from the idea of trauma as solely reserved for people that are, for example, domestic violence survivors or war veterans in this very kind of classic PTSD way. And starting to understand that trauma is much broader and vast than that. That trauma is whatever exceeds our capacity to cope. And that trauma is not just one concrete overt event, but trauma can be ongoing. Trauma can be complex. It can be subtle. And it can be things that have been invisibilized for so long. We can experience trauma from racism, poverty, covert emotional neglect. And not only that the origins of trauma are vast and diverse, but also that the manifestations of trauma are not just flashbacks and nightmares, but can also show up as things that are often praised in our society, like hyper-individualism and perfectionism and hyper-productivity and things like this. So even if you may not be someone that might typically consider yourself a trauma survivor, consider some of the things that may have happened to you that have deeply impacted your worldview, the way that you relate to yourself and other people, the beliefs that you have about the world. 
if we can move from the question of what's wrong with you or considering ourselves quote unquote crazy to what happened to you? What are the experiences that really changed you or caused harm? We can really start to depathologize our mental health experiences. The second lens is directly related, ancestral trauma or what happened before you. Now there's all this epigenetic research that I find super fascinating around human beings carrying traumatic retention, ancestral experiences that may not have happened in our lifetimes, but happened before us. And these don't just get passed down through family norms and patterns and stories and experiences. It's not as linear as, you know, if your mother used alcohol to cope, that you are also going to perhaps experience alcoholism or addiction. It is not that linear. There are so many things that happened in and through our families, our ancestries, that even without knowledge of the original stories or the original origins can get passed down through our bodies, our blood and our bones, through our genetics, through family patterns, but also perhaps even more importantly, cultural and societal norms. I like to include in this framework, historical trauma, trauma that happened to large groups of people or that are continuing to happen to large groups of people and the impact of those historical traumas of which colonialism, colonial capitalism plays huge roles, displacement, being stripped of our ancestral lands. You may have noticed that so many of us go through kind of a deep longing of wanting to feel a sense of belonging because many of us to varying degrees are impacted by this. So ancestral trauma, again, can be overt. You might truly know through family stories or oral histories, the ways that you might continue to embody traumatic retention from your ancestors or things that have been passed down through generations. But these can also be much more covert. Some people have stories of having never known an ancestor that was maybe three or four generations apart going through an experience that might have mirrored that ancestor's experiences almost directly and only finding that out after the fact. So there are many, many ways that this can play out. But the question of what happened before you is such a rich one when it comes to informing our understanding of trauma at large and our mental health at large, which of course leads us to framework number three, which is of societal and institutional oppression, what's happening around you. Of course, as I mentioned, this can be directly related to ancestral trauma. But again, we can also and should also look right now, right in the here and now, what are the ways that in our society, people's fundamental and basic needs are not being met? The ways that we're being robbed of our autonomy, coerced in structures and systems that weren't built with health in mind, the ways in which we discard people under capitalism that we don't feel are valuable or functional because they have differences in their body minds. The ways that instead of seeking to support communities, we often tear apart communities. The ways in which the structures that we say are meant to support people like the mental health system often wind up creating more harm and violence and isolation, institutionalizing people, separating people from their communities under the guise of help and support the inequity, the injustice, the ways in which 
patriarchal white supremacy plays out in every facet of our institutions and of our lives and that impact the ways in which we communicate and interact with each other that hinder us from truly being able to connect with one another and have a deeper understanding of why people suffer. It's not as simple as if you have certain levels of privilege or layers of privilege that you are somehow protected from the impacts of this. We all get even subtle messaging about how we need to show up in order to be valued in our society. And that has huge impacts on our mental health. The fourth lens or framework is what I like to call interconnected biology. We could probably use different terms for this, but what I really mean by this is we tend to think of mental health as what's wrong with your brain, what's happening in your brain and your brain chemistry. But some of the coolest, most interesting research now, after having quite a few decades of trying to prove, for example, the chemical imbalance theory of mental health, which is not supported by the research or trying to find biomarkers for mental illness, which is not supported by the research, we are finally coming to an understanding that our bodies operate as a whole. We can't isolate the brain from the entire system. And so looking at our nervous system, our endocrine system, our immune system, all of it as a whole, and looking at the ways in which inflammation impacts our mood and our mental health, the ways in which our environment, and as I just mentioned, interpersonal ancestral trauma and societal oppression, how all of those things create actual changes in our physiology that make us more susceptible to different kinds of illness, that put our gut health at risk, that create higher levels of inflammation in the body. Inflammation that is then directly correlated to experiences of depression and anxiety, for example. What's happening in our body is not separate from what's happening in the world around us. For example, trauma survivors are far more likely to be diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And rates of autoimmune disease in our society is skyrocketing, making two more connections. If you experienced higher levels of trauma, you are also more likely to be diagnosed with a mental health disorder. And if you're diagnosed with a mental health disorder, you're more likely to be diagnosed with something like an autoimmune disease or chronic illness. So again, taking this out of the framework of this reductionist way that we used to think about the mind-body connection, which is, yeah, of course, if you're depressed, you're going to be more physically ill. And if you're physically ill, you're going to be more depressed. And instead, looking at the interconnected systems in our bodies, the ways that our environment impacts our bodies, and the ways in which all of that has an impact on our mental health. Personally, I think everyone who is in a mental health crisis or who is recently diagnosed with a mental health disorder should automatically be screened for different inflammatory markers, chronic health conditions, because There are times where the main symptom that someone might experience is mental and emotional. Things that I have personal experience with, Lyme disease and celiac disease, the mental and emotional impacts of those as direct physiological responses are sometimes the biggest symptoms. But currently, presently, when we go to see a doctor and we present with mostly mental or emotional symptoms, they get delegitimized. And often in the system, 
people aren't willing to look at some of the underlying physiological roots or biological roots. So I do think biology is important. It's just that it's not always in our brains. The fifth lens I like to look at, as I said, is spiritual or existential. I also truly believe that our mental health can't be separated from how we make meaning out of the world. And also that periods of time that are big transitions for us or even potential crises have the opportunity to be incredibly generative. So this question of what's happening through you, what's the broader, bigger meaning, the broader, bigger message is huge. A lot of times people come to me because they're experiencing a transition or a crisis that actually feels a bit more like a dark night of the soul or a spiritual awakening or something that's actually really more related to self-actualization. And any of these other previous factors that I mentioned can absolutely be present all at once, but it doesn't take away from the fact that some of us really experience it as sometimes traumatic or challenging as mental health crises can be. They can also feel really expansive. They can shift the way that we think about the world around us. It can be also a process of deepening our intuitive and spiritual gifts. In my episode with Tabiso Tenkulu, who is a healer from Swaziland, he talks about the initiation process of healers. And in a lot of indigenous cultures, it was seen as an initiation process going through what looks to Western society as a mental health crisis that needs to be stopped or halted. People experiencing altered states of consciousness, like seeing or hearing things that other people don't see and hear or having strange or unusual beliefs, or having a religious or mystical experience, in many cultures is interpreted as someone coming into themselves as a healer and moving through the pain that's necessary to move through to self-actualize in that way. So whether it's as overt as that, or a mental health experience just getting us to really look at the world in a different way, be attuned to the world in a different way, feeling more expansive or generative, or being forced to change certain aspects of our lives, that question of what's happening through us can be a really crucial one. And asking what gives meaning to our lives, why are we here, where do we go when we die, all, like all of these questions, these are not frivolous questions. These are not things to ignore. These are part of our lives for a reason. And these often are not just ways that people are trying to seek comfort through a crisis. These are ways that we can actually grow into parts of ourselves that we maybe never knew were there. That can be hugely important for our development as humans. Which leads me to my last framework, which is one of personal integrity or what's happening within us. I think that so many of the other frameworks is kind of what's happening around us, but there's also an element of the choices that we make here. Not only how we want to move through a crisis or a mental health experience, but sometimes transitions, crises, mental health experiences, these quote-unquote symptoms like depression or anxiety are sometimes messages and indicators that something's not working. In addition to all the other things that I mentioned before this, these can be, as Thomas More says, the necessary changes that depression and anxiety can bring about in our lives. These can show us ways that we maybe haven't been living in integrity, ways that we have 
colluded with toxic societal values, ways that we've told ourselves that we should be or should behave, things that we should be doing, ways that we should be operating in our relationships, our jobs, our connections. Oftentimes, mental health experiences or crises are times where we have the opportunity to make some pretty big life changes. So as you can see, again, these are not the only frameworks, the only lenses that we can operate from. These are not the only questions that we can ask ourselves. But as you can likely see, each of these are so deeply interconnected. None of them are separate from the other. And research really backs this up. So how do we use this tangibly when it comes to kind of looking at our mental health holistically? I kind of like to describe this as a, a pie chart. So when I'm working with a client who's like, what is it? Am I going crazy or is it this? Is it that? Is it this? Am I just hormonal? Is it my brain chemistry? Is it my ancestral trauma? Is it society? What is it? I often encourage people to imagine or even draw out a pie chart for yourself where you start to list out some of the major factors, the major roots that you can already feel and see and experience, things that have contributed to where you got to, where you're at now. For all of us, each section of that pie chart is really different. For example, as someone who lives with a chronic illness, with an autoimmune disease, the interconnected biology portion of my pie chart might be a little bit bigger than yours. But the point is not to understand what percentage of each domain has impacted our mental health. I think that's quite impossible to tease apart or to do. But the point is really to know, to understand the multiple roots. Because in essence, when we really understand the multiple roots of our pain, of our suffering, of our differences, we also have a greater potential to utilize multiple pathways for healing. We don't have to choose. We don't have to say, actually, I think that it's just my interpersonal trauma and nothing else. We don't have to say, I think it's just the fact that I have a chronic illness and nothing else. When we can understand the multiplicity here, we can then utilize different ways of healing. Like I said, we are multidimensional beings. We are dynamic. There isn't one way that we can heal or grow or expand or change. So to me, the biggest benefit of looking at mental health holistically is so that we get more choice, more agency, and more creativity in the ways that we choose to heal. I am so grateful to you for being here. If you love this discussion and you're interested in mental health activism and transformative mental health, I highly recommend checking out the Institute for the Development of Human Arts. That's idha-nyc.org. At this point, we have members and faculty from all around the world. We have online courses, events, and opportunities for movement building. So if you're not yet a member, you can sign up for that in the link below. As always, I love hearing what you think, so please leave me a review on Apple podcasts and I will see you next time.